So that conversation that happened with between Nick and Frog, that happened all the time. You know what I mean? Um, with uh, you know your 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 white kid, you come from a good family. You know, I mean those kind of conversations were real, and they happened a lot. You know, so um, I think that definitely uh, it, to me it it seems like a funny scene, but it definitely hit on some some definite you know reality there. Hello, Wire fans. I'm Dave, and I'm Toby. And you're listening to The Wire Stripped. It's the show where we watch HBO's The Wire every week. And you'll also be hearing from some of the cast, some of the crew, the fans, and of course, you guys too. Today we're going to be watching Season 2, Episode 8. It's called Duck and Cover. It's the one where the duck first shows up. Yes, the duck is a recurring character in the season. Find out the rest of their storyline. And when you find out, please do get in contact with us, guys. On social media, we are at... The Wire Stripped on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And on today's episode, also, you're going to hear from Chris Bauer, who played Frank Sabotka, and the lovely Deirdre Lovejoy, who played Rhonda Perlman, and many, many more people. But before you hear from them, you're going to have to hear more of us. Here's us talking about Duck and Cover on the streets of London. He got the fire and the fury at his command Well you don't have to worry When you hold on to Jesus' hand We'll all be safe from Satan When the thunder rolls You gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole Hey guys, as always, I'm here with Dave. Hello. And we are outside the UK equivalent of Dolores' bar. Yes. And it's, called, it's not called Dolores's. No. It's called the Hand and Spear. Yes, but there is a lady called Dolores who works behind the bar, probably. We can only presume. <laughs> well, we've been calling her Dolores yeah, all night, that's, so... that's why she's been giving us the evils. <laughs> we forgot our pet duck, though. I told you, Kobe, to I, bring the yeah, duck. Yeah, I, I had no signal for those minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the underground. Um... We should go into this. Um, I think this cold opens quite, quite telling of McNulty's state of mind at the time. Because what happens in the previous episode, we didn't actually talk about it because there's quite a, thing, a few things that happened in the previous episode. But McNulty is still is trying to get back together with his, with his wife and she kind of just shoots him down. So uh, we see him at the start of this episode get absolutely smashed. One of the most drunk I've ever seen McNulty ever. And it's by himself which I can't think is ever ever a good thing. It's grim. Yeah, it's terrible. He yeah, drink, drink dials his wife in the bar. She says, go fuck yourself. And then he just drives off, smashes into a bridge. And then, I don't know, he kind of gets out and kind of does some kind of scenario play of like how I could have done it better or this is how I could have done it and then gets back in the car and smashes it again. I couldn't quite work out what he was doing. I couldn't work this out either. Yeah. And, and I, w- I went online to try and find a, a legit answer for this. <laughs> and the best one I found was that um, the suggestion that McNulty didn't believe that 
couldn't believe that he would have taken the turn wrong. Right. It's almost that it was the bridge's fault. <laughs> so that's why he was trying to prove it to himself that it's not his fault. Which I mean, that was the that was the suggestion I most enjoyed. I don't think it really makes any sense. But then he was absolutely blitzed. He was. Uh, and then next to Smash Cut, we see him at a diner, half falling asleep, um, looking asking for eggs, and then he ends up having sex with a waitress, which is <laughs> hilarious. I, I'm calling this one night at McNulty's. Um, we see him later on talking to Bunk saying that he's just like he's in a mess he's obviously his family's kind of falling apart has fallen apart no sign of any reconciliation and well his family's doing fine without him basically yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's, more probably, the, that's more of the point that's probably the best they could do yeah. is without without him and he's probably just realised that actually that's probably what's been the, the, the catalyst for a lot of this um Love his recent antics. Yeah, there was that really sad moment in a previous episode where he's sitting on the the, the porch yeah. watching his wife and the two kids in the tent having, yeah. having the time of their lives. And it's... I think that's when it kind of hits home for him. What's cool here is that you see Bunk feeling that they need to almost... A, they could do with McNulty on the case, but B, he's like reaching out to his friend. He sees his friend is properly like in her, is in pain, and him being out on the boats is not helping him in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. He needs Jimmy needs something to occupy his mind, and when Jimmy's Jimmy's is the best detective in the squad if he's on the squad and if he's like after something properly. So yeah, he reaches out. Bunker Freeman reaches out to Daniels to get McNulty back into the squad. Daniels has to go to Rawls. Rawls says, "Go fuck yourself." Daniels says, "Look, <laughs> naturally." <laughs> Daniels says, "Look, you." I said, "I have anything I want," and Rawls kind of goes, "Shit, you're right." I want McNulty. Yeah, I need him. Get me McNulty. McNulty comes back in, which is brilliant. Later on, when they're back, yeah. So we've seen McNulty come back in. Everyone's happy about that. McNulty and B to go for a drink, and they kind of you see like the, the seed of something forming here. And they go back to Beady's house, but then Beady, Minotti kind of looks around. He sees some kind of familiar traits of like pictures on the fridge, uh, schoolwork going on, and stuff like that. And he, I think he just kind of feels like I shouldn't ruin someone else's kind of life. That's why I feel. And he, he gets his coat and walks away. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the game was on at that point with with him and and Beady, but he probably just felt he shouldn't. He needs to remove himself from that. Oh, it, oh, that it was thing. on. Oh, was it? Do you reckon? I'm sure it was on. It was going that way. <laughs> it was McNulty. Yeah. Um, as we saw at the start, he's, you know, he had a bleeding bleeding hand and he still managed to <laughs> bag that waitress. I don't know, <laughs> don't oh, know what she was thinking. It was only going one way. I think, uh, I, I like your explanation of it, I think, because I was going to ask you what, how, how you perceived his decision here. And I think... I think that's a nice way to put it. Actually, mm. he didn't want to ruin someone else's life. He reali- he kind of realizes what a disaster he is, a bit. And I think this shows, uh, this shows progress for McNulty yeah. in his frame of mind that he's, he's realized this. He's thinking of other people. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's been given a second chance. Really, it's a lifeline. Yeah. And there is an, a really uh, interesting sort of like trick literary trick that uh, actually happens in that scene this is kelly from the rewired podcast another podcast all about the wire mcnulty is there he's ready to like make the move on bd and he flips the lid of her cop cookie jar and there really there's this recorded voice that says you know hands up step away from the cookie jar and if you 
about, you know, Beatty as the cookie jar. Symbolism. There's a real symbolism there, an interesting trick of light. And, and McNulty actually takes it quite literally and does take his hand out of the cookie jar. So that's sort of the McNulty. McNulty takes up a big chunk of this episode. Yep. Uh, there's a lot happens with the, with the detail, the Sabatka detail. So firstly, we see them running through everything they've gathered so far with Rhonda, Rhonda Perlman. Uh, and she's she seems quite she's quite impressed. I think they've got a they've got a lot. Yeah. Um, she definitely tells them they've got probable cause for to wiretap uh, Sergei's cell and the warehouse phone. And she says, "There's a great line. It's like uh, start typing. I'll call the judge." Yeah, excellent. Which I like this speed. I do. Which I, you don't often get in the wire. I love Rhonda Perlman as well. My audition for the wire was one of the most relaxed and one of the easiest. Uh, auditions I've ever had in that I pretty much had decided or not even decided I just sort of knew that there was no chance I was going to get the job. Here's our chat with Deirdre Lovejoy who played Rhonda Perlman. So I was so relaxed I just didn't think I had a shot in hell as it were so I was visiting with all of the you know lovely actresses that were in the waiting room and they called me in and I I read my scene and, and that was that and I I got a call back and I went in and at the time I was, you know, I think trying to quit smoking again for the 90th time. Um, and I had a patch on and I remember, you know, making a joke about putting my microphone on and exposing my nicotine patch. And I read the scene with Clark and David was there and Bob Colesbury and, and, you know, Clark said, great read. And I just remember it being really fun and no stress again, only because I thought there was just no chance in hell I was going to book this job. You know, I didn't do anything uh, special. I didn't do anything differently than I'd done a thousand times before. Um, it was just my day. And, and I think when I walked in, they sort of went, oh, we were not sure what we were looking for, but that looks pretty close to it. You know, uh, it was just a, 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 an alignment of the stars, as it were. And then we sort of, you know, cut to the judge does sign off their request. Yeah, so a nice little comic comic so, scene. So it's not Judge Feeling who just would have signed it off. Yes, it's someone who judge. requires more more literal manual labor to yeah. be involved. <laughs> yeah. So we have Herc and Carver in the background. So it's in the judge's house, it seems. But Perman's in the office, signing off, getting him to sign off the affidavit, whilst Herc and Carver are seen in the background moving what looks like like an air conditioning unit up yeah. to the third floor. <laughs> and making making sure the windows are clean after they finish doing it, they those guys are pissed off at their at their lot in life at this moment. I like this judge. <laughs> I, like, uh, I like that he's just like uh, figured out uh, a way of getting free labor out of. Uh, he's used his leverage. Yeah, I'll sign your affidavit, but you know you got to do something for me to scratch my back. Yeah, I need a hoovering on the second floor. <laughs> the fourth floor needs a good dust. Must have a huge fucking house. And we also get a quite a comical scene between Herc and Carver where they're trying to um, basically invent a CI to cover up the work that they got on the off <laughs> on the off license surveillance tap <laughs> that they did for the previous episode. I love these guys. They're kind of they're so low level in this detail, but they're do, like they did contribute some re- very relevant information. Yeah. Um, and they're doing good police work, but they're doing, their methods are just mad. And they're <laughs> sort of slightly crooked at the same time. And we saw that last season with them and the, the cash and the stash house. Uh, you kind of see, they kinda, they're good, they mean well, they're kind of effective, but they're not super intelligent. Yeah. But then they invent this sort of 
<laughs> what is it? Fuzzy Dunlop yeah. is the name of the... Because that was, that was what they, they called a tennis ball, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I just got that. Is that right? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Oh, my God. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> I just thought they pulled that name out of the air. We're not even going to use your real name. You're going to be registered as Fuzzy Dunlop, a street name. Fuzzy Dunlop. Yeah. Right. 10%. Yeah, wow, the wire just clicked for me. It all just clicked into place. There you go. That's the last kind of piece in a puzzle for you. <laughs> That's great. Um, but Herka gets his nephew uh, involved, who they uh, they ask him to pretend to be Fuzzy Dunlop. Uh, they take a photo of him, and he sort of haggles with them for ten percent of the CI payment, it's which I think is fair. I don't know what I don't know what they were arguing about. Yeah, and it was what well, I mean. What was it like? 50 bucks or something? No, it's 150. Oh, 150. The first, the first, the first iteration. But if so they're going like to do this, 15 dollars is all they have to give yeah. him. It's like, yeah. come on. So if they're going to reclaim back this, I guess if they're going to reclaim back the 1,250 that they've lost, that means they're going to have to give him 125 dollars, which is a bit of a pain in the arse altogether. But still, he's doing them a massive favour. Um, so I would just like get on with it. I think when Fuzzy Dunlop has the conversation saying, you know, why should Herc and Carver get any cut of the money. That's their job, right? Like they get a salary for that. Here's Bailey, the um, other co-host on the Rewired podcast. It harkens back to what we see throughout the the season, where people aren't necessarily getting paid for the work that they're doing, or they're not getting adequate work, or they're getting offered money for not doing any work, a la Ziggy. Um, and so I think there's kind of a recurring question of of what is uh, what is fair compensation and for what labor there's a li- there's a little section uh, with the detail where they've uh, they've essentially Kima and Bunk have figured out that the uh, the apartments uh, which they suspect is a brothel are owned by the same company as the warehouse mm. and they decide they need to infiltrate the brothel and then there's a sort of a great comic beat where uh, they're, they're looking around like who's going to infiltrate the brothel and then in steps our man McNulty <laughs> ready for duty it takes a whore to catch a whore <laughs> brilliant there's so in this in this episode there's two I think there's two ep- entrances for people first of all you see Bunk coming in with his with his jogging get up he has his grey oh that's great he has his grey it's not flannel is it but his grey kind of sweat sweatshirt and, and sweatpants yeah I don't know once why, but they absolutely rip into him, which is fair. Well, because they've never seen him outside of a suit. And yeah, true. Neither have we. But why is he wearing that? He can wear like anything else other than the suit, and is is there wearing pajamas basically? I like to think Bunk is, you know, he saw an opportunity where he doesn't have to dress up because yeah. he's because he's not in homicide and he's <laughs> going to be in an office, and he just went full hog, like <laughs> not like middle ground casual, not smart casual, just like full on. I can just be like I'm at home. <laughs> With the sweatpants on. Oh, massive respect to the book. <laughs> and then the second time is, yeah, McNulty walking in whilst they're discussing. So two, two, two interesting entrances into the detail, into the off-site. And he dropped point. his catchphrase. What? Yeah. Yeah. Takes a whore to catch a whore. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck did I do? Also, we get Beady Prez and Freeman in the office. They notice another container going missing, thanks to our friend Horseface. Uh, and then uh, they follow all the progress of it via surveillance and the wiretaps. Uh, and everything's kind of running real smooth here. Mm. We see sort of um, 
we see that the whole process from beginning to end, and you can see their case like fleshed out as it's happening. Yeah. Uh, but Frank, which we'll get to in a, uh, in the next storyline, is suspicious, and he sends out a clean container, which gets stopped by BD in order to give McNulty time to tail it, and that proves to be a fatal mistake. Yes, 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 yeah. Well, let's let's head to that now. Let's head to the. Let's talk about storyline three at the docks. A few things tying together here. This is this for me is one of the most face palm ziggy episodes. <laughs> it's called Duck and Cover, and we'll get to the duck in a bit. But coming on from the last episode where Maui had been, had taunted Wiggy and the Stevedores are trying to say, "Yeah, man, you could take him. You can take him." We see him. We see Maui having a cappuccino. Which Ziggy sees, sees as a sign of weakness. I think, it was, I think it was like a frappuccino. Was it a frappuccino? Frappuccino? What the fuck is that? You old pussy, Zig. Co-cocking. Take him, Zig. Very flamboyant for the year 2002, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and he sees it as a sign of weakness and thinks, yes, I can. I can smash Maui down. <laughs> so whilst Maui's looking the completely the other way, Ziggy sticks up on him, hits him in the kidneys... Um, and it's like it's like a fly landing on a cow. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> doesn't even flinch. It doesn't flinch. He kind of. What was that? <laughs> it turns around and completely just grapples Ziggy, puts him on the forklift. The forklift goes up and he just throws him onto the container, like a like a small bag of sand. All the stevedores are pissing themselves, laughing. Fucking brilliant. You fucks try to help him down, you'll be up there with him. Bad advice! You motherfuckers gave me bad I'm not sure what the point of this, like this, this, uh, this plot was though, and the fact that they drew it out over two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> like episode six had the, uh, or sorry, episode seven. This is episode eight. Had the. Uh, the prank from that Maui played on him. They were really building up to this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it was like all for the payoff of Ziggy on top of a shipping container, <laughs> which is admittedly quite hilarious. Uh, but it feels quite incidental, I think. It, I think it's just adding to yeah. Ziggy's character arc as like he can be, he can be played. He is in that position where he feels he needs to act out, and it's just kind of adding fuel to that fire for Ziggy. I think. You know, it was sort of a build up to that because. Uh, you know, you know, Ziggy character, he was such a... You love to hate him, or love to love him. This is know? Kelvin Davis, who played Lala. Look at. Um, and in my character, uh, you know, again, he was just a, something, or, or a character that was just fun to pick on. And, and just, he had a big head, and he, was, he would try anything. He was, and we were egging him on to do certain things. Of course, Maui, as you said, was much, much bigger than he was. But I would say, hey, look, hey, it's just the clothes. It's the clothes that give him size. You know, don't worry about that. And he was the type of guy that would believe that. Say, you really think I could take him? Yeah, 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 go ahead. Try him. <laughs> so, uh, but that was a lot of fun just doing those particular parts as well. We have Horseface telling, yeah, Horseface re- recounting the story back to Frank. Frank just kind of goes, Ziggy, a bit of an idiot, but he's, he's thinking more about the future of the docks and the bigger picture. It tells us so much about Frank and Ziggy yeah. again. You've got Horseface telling Frank exactly what happened, like blow by blow, and he's not even listening. Mm. He's burrowing around in a filing cabinet. And, like, Frank has... So we get so few scenes of Frank and Ziggy together mm. in this show, 
and even fewer scenes where Frank is talking about Ziggy or acknowledging Ziggy or even listening to things about Ziggy. As far as Frank concerned, Ziggy barely exists and that's the, one of the most important details about Ziggy's character. Yeah, and anything Ziggy does, anytime Ziggy does anything wrong, it falls on Nick. Frank's like, yes. where were you? Where were you looking out for him? It's like, I should have been out. It should, it's not, I should have been looking out for him. It's where were you, Nick? I, I think the connection that Frank and Ziggy had was so beautiful. Here's Chris Bauer, who played Frank Sabotka. And part of its beauty, it still really moves me, um, you know, 15, 16 years later, because they opened up a vein of soul with that relationship that uh, was so powerful there was this attempt to connect and this attempt to experience each other through each other's eyes, but this enormous obstacle, which was they could never settle on a vocabulary that they shared. You know, Frank loved him, and I think Ziggy loved Frank. The way they expressed that and the way they sort of measured whether or not the other person was demonstrating that love was really different. <laughs> so it was, it was very, um, you know, it was kind of in a strange way. It, 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 it was about um, failure and the, the layers of failure built into the storyline um, were echoed in so many different places. So in that conversation with Horseface and Frank, um, he has a chat with his cell phone company. He's like 90 days behind in his payment. And, but, the pay, but the cell phone company says, no, it's okay, don't worry about it. We're fine. <laughs> yeah. Everything's good. Nothing to see here. We've all been there. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Frank kind of goes, yeah, this is, this is not right. Something's going on here. And this tied in with, uh, he has a chat with the... Um, the other police he sees at the docks is like, where's Beady Russell? And they're like, no, she's on some mad ass, amazing detail somewhere to do with the, to do with the women. And then that, she lied to me. I know. Yeah. How did she, why? (laughs) I should never, I could never have expected that of her. So a lot of things are like click, click, clicking in his mind. And that's why he sends the clean container because he's like, I I don't like the way this is going. Something's, something's not right here. He's smart. He's pieced it all together. Absolutely. uh, Legitimately suspicious. Yeah. He finally meets the Greek in the coffee shop and he just says to the Greek, look, we, I did this because we were both in jeopardy. And the Greek kind of says, yeah, fine. You, you've done us, you've done us both proud. Um, but he's, he's really insisting that they get paid because one of the big things for them is they need to have the money flowing in from some way, shape or form. Um, and I find what Frank does here is proper ballsy back to the Greeks saying, we, we need to get paid, not 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 tomorrow. We are struggling now. Yeah. And really, you're the only source of income coming through, through the docks. And uh, it paid off. Yeah. Just. But you're right, it is ballsy because he's working with a criminal here. He's working with a criminal. People have died. I'm not sure how much Sabaka knows the extent of what he's involved in. Uh, in he's a smart of, guy, I'm yeah, pretty sure he knows. He yeah. probably knows something's going on there. Um, but I think it would have been well within the Greeks' remit to say, look, I'm not getting paid, you're not getting paid, so as soon as I get paid, you get paid, which is 
kind of fair enough in a way. So, Kobe, you've said previously on this podcast how you didn't realise, the first time you were watching this, you didn't realise who the Greek was until very late in the game. <laughs> was this the moment? I think it was this moment when, <laughs> right. when Nick says, is that guy the Greek? <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, oh, that guy's the Greek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that explains why he's always hanging out in that coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah, Ziggy buys the duck, uh, which alludes to the epigraph here, which is, how come they don't fly away? Uh, I like that. I, li- I like that line. I think that's, it's sad. I mean, it's a very, it's a little bit of a heavy-handed metaphor. Maybe that the ducks, the, you know, they're, they're or the, the, their wings are clipped yeah. and they can't fly away. Oh, know, nice. I didn't read into it. I just took go. it at face value. Holy it's, shit. Ziggy, it's, Ziggy, can't, Ziggy can't escape. He's not, he's not meant for that world. He can't get out no matter how hard he tries he keeps he's tried drugs mm. selling drugs that is uh, he's he's tried um, stealing canisters his own way cameras it's just not working for him no, nobody respects him he he's he's trapped his, and his yeah his wings are clipped so he instantly relates to this to this animal yeah. so I kind of I and I really I thought it was a lovely scene and I think he by taking the duck he felt like he it was saving a kindred spirit yeah. in a way and then he makes a big joke out of it <laughs> <laughs> in the way only the way Ziggy can do but they, he takes it to Dolores' bar he takes the duck to Dolores' bar and everyone loves him for it it's not a case of Ziggy what the fuck are you doing they're, they're all buying rounds for this duck and this duck is lapping up whatever drinks I don't yeah. know what I don't know if it's rum but it seems to be probably enjoying it the duck is great crack yeah that was interesting because the, the duck handler was right there. Here's Jill Redding, who played Dolores. He was dressed as a longshoreman, so um, the, the, the duck was right there with his handler. Uh, it was amazing because the duck would do whatever this man wanted him to do. Drink the supposed beer out of the um, bowl, which, of course, wasn't beer. But um, the, duck, the duck was fun. Um, I thought Ziggy was a little weird with the duck. And that was Ziggy, and he he was a personality. <laughs> Ziggy was his own personality, that's for sure. Oh, Ziggy! You know, I feel like we, I feel like we were connected a little bit more than anybody else. It's because I've always had a little bit something to do with Ziggy and, and Nick. Uh, again, Ziggy just just one of the practical jokers and, and looking for attention, and and. Uh, he got kind of close to his duck, and for whatever reason, I don't know why he thought that duck could uh, consume a fifth of alcohol <laughs> and live, <laughs> because I don't think they're meant, meant to take and drink alcohol like that. But um, it, uh, it <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. It's, it, it was one of those scenes where we all behind the scenes got laughing hysterically because of the whole the whole scene itself and uh, having having him coming there with the duck leading the way with his cane and uh and that whole situation how that went down was, was just hysterical one thing about the duck um and this kind of goes back to the way that bailey and i look at the show as being um, very literary in nature and rich with a lot of illusions is um, a lot of people are probably familiar with Catcher in the Rye and Holden Caulfield, this kind of tortured, um, you know, adolescent male, very concerned about the ducks in Central Park and where do they go in the winter? 
um, you know, do they fly away? That's holding Caulfield's concern. And Ziggy asks a really similar question. He says, well, why don't they fly away? And I think that not only is that an allusion to Catcher in the Rye, but it's also uh, representative of the way the, the stevedores live. And, you know, they're kind of trapped in this dying industry. And, you know, we could say, why don't they leave the union or why don't they build skills in another area or something like that? And in a lot of ways, they are like the ducks that are either unable to fly away or, you know, trapped in some other way. And so I think that Ziggy feels a little bit of, of affection for that when he sees that in the ducks that aren't aren't flying away from whatever their circumstances are. I read actually that the character, that there's a real life character, like most of them, yep. wire characters that Ziggy's based on um, loosely. And he was a self-proclaimed legend of the docks uh, who did actually bring a duck into, into, into a the bar. bar. So this is, this is very much a real, a real life scenario. Not to be replicated at home. No. You hear that? Do not try this at home. A duck is for life, not just for the docks. <laughs> And those are those are the sort of the big storylines. But there is a we do check in with the Barksdale crew yep. very briefly. Um, we see Bodie and Poot on a looking at uh, one of their corners, and well, they, they've noticed the business is way down, and they notice a new crew dealing on their territory, and they're doing a lot better than they are because they've obviously got a better connect. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of, we see them getting a crew together, and at the end of the episode, they take the corner back. Mm. And that the new crew walk away, but you just know that retaliation is. Oh, coming. absolutely! You don't take it. You don't take a corner like that without expecting some comeback. I, I will say that um, McNulty drunk singing to the Pogues is one of my favourite moments in all <laughs> of the Wire. Now I don't condone drink driving at all, no. but just the just the sheer joy on his face <laughs> as he's as he's drunkenly singing the Pogues is just beautiful. Uh, Tom. Can you please drop that audio in right now? Hello guys, um, my name is Eva Davenport and I'm um, leaving you a burner message about series two, which I'm incredibly excited about. I'm a diehard uh, Wire fan and I must say that series two is probably my favorite for a very, very specific reason. I'm Polish and there are quite a few Polish people in, in series two and the entire story arc for series two kind of kicks off with a feud between two Polish people that happens in a Polish church, um, which the significance of the church for Frank and for uh, Walczyk, um cannot be underestimated. Uh, Polish immigrants are Im incredibly uh, competitive with one another and where the community really uh, lives and shows off every Sunday is the church. So the reason why uh, Valchuk would feel such wrath to be upstaged by, um, by Frank is, is completely justifiable when you're Polish. Um, you know, you'd go to church every Sunday and that's where you would dress in your Sunday best, but that's where you would also 
kind of um, tout and show your achievement. So that really lies at heart of of Valchik's um, um, feud. But also what um, what is very clear and what is very beautifully written actually by Simon, which is why I'm so kind of touched and moved by this series as well, is that, you know, all the people, um, all the Polish people, that they're unmistakably Polish. I've had, you know, I have ankles like... Um, like Valchek, the sort of belligerent, narcissistic, self-obsessed men who are driven by one upmanship and, and trying to show off. And kind of those slightly mournful, decent men like uh, Frank Sobotka. I, I, I know those. I've met those, um, you know, in my community. Um, the kind of young bucks like... Um, like Nick Sobotka too, they're all very familiar to me. And it has to be a testament of Simon's writing, how amazing uh, and how truthful and authentic his writing is, that he managed to capture the entire community with such a kind, truthful eye. And this is really true of Simon's writing for every single community he captures in The Wire. And I think that is at the core of wise appeal people can really see themselves in it even if they're not of that community the community has written so beautifully that one cannot help but understand them and, and, and sympathize with them and empathize with them and finally as a little trivia uh, frank sobotka's name uh, actually means little saturday that's his surname sobotka and uh, it's also a town in uh, in western poland um so here is to Frank, Little Saturday, and um, I know his people. Uh, I, I've met people called Sobotka, and that's also a lovely little touch. So thank you for amazing work, guys, and uh, looking forward to more series. Bye. Thanks to Eva for your burner message there. Really, really appreciate it, and thank you for taking the time to send it to us. Dave, how can they send us a burner message if they want to? Sorry, I want to say they. I mean, you guys listening, how can you send us a burner message? That was quite rude. Them, you, you people. <laughs> you, all you people out there with your ears listening to our voices. We know you're there. Uh, so if you want to leave a burner message like Eva, what you do is you go on your WhatsApp and then you uh, you do some some sort of voice thing. Jiggery pokery. And then, some, yeah, some sort of magic. Um, and then... Kobe will be able to receive your voice through the medium of the internet yep. and then it'll go into the show. It's it's amazing really how it works. And if you don't know how to do WhatsApp magic, um, just leave us a message, record a message on your favourite voice memo app and send us a message, send that recording to burner at thewirestrips.com and we've had a fair few burner messages that way as well. So if you can't do magic, do the other way. And I forgot to say, the WhatsApp number is on our social channels at The Wire Stripped. Or, I'll tell you right now, it's plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight. We still haven't got a jingle. Someone send us a jingle. Please. We need, we need a nice, tight jingle. We need more jingles. Yeah, we need help doing these doing these little links because obviously they're going on too long. Back to the show. <laughs> uh, one thing I was going to say about Ziggy is that I felt like there's definitely parallels in this episode between Ziggy and McNulty. Right. Uh, because they're both sort of very lost. They're without purpose. Um, they're both employed. They're making money but it's not enough for them. They want respect 
and they want to be using their talents. So it's like, it's not just enough to live because Ziggy, we see Ziggy getting thousands and thousands of pounds yeah. from Nick. Yeah. But that's not the that's not the point. He wants to be involved and he wants respect and he wants something meaningful. And it's the same with McNulty. He's got a job. He could just work on the on the boats. Yeah, um, could just work work on the boats, just have an easiest life, be a bit cold in the winter. Yeah. As Dixie says, you know, it's it's you're gonna see topless girls later on, sun's out, well you're leaving at the best time. But it's not enough for him. No. And it's not enough for Ziggy. And the two of them want something more. And I think that's that it's very interesting in the way that that's that's a very human thing to want more, to want a bit of respect and legacy and to do something worthwhile. I I lost a bit of kind of time for Ziggy when he threw the cash out the window. Oh. <laughs> Because it's that thing again when people are helping you out, you're doing actually quite well. If you just fucking sat on what you had, you'd be doing well. But again, it's just tiny with what he's saying. He just doesn't have that in him. He wants there's something there that he wants which can't be provided by his environment or other people around him at the time. He's got a couple of thousand pounds there, like you say, just thrown just thrown out the window and I just what kind of state do you have to be to be to throw that away? When I watched Ziggy throw the money out the car window, um, you know, that whole episode, there's kind of this theme of labor and compensation, which I think is really interesting. Um, you know, Ziggy doesn't want the money for not having done anything, um, which I think it's a little bit reflected by a conversation we see in the same episode with, you know, Fuzzy Dunlop, um, you know, wanting a cut for the microphone ruse. And Herc and Carver say, you know, did you do anything to earn the money? And so maybe that's a moment where we kind of, we there's something respectable about Ziggy saying he doesn't want the money for not having contributed. Um, but it's... Uh, you know, it's just as hard to watch as when he's lighting the money on fire, right? I think to to me as well, a lot of it is tied to sort of Ziggy's um, definition of masculinity and his definition of success and how he sort of defines himself. I think in a lot of ways, he feels that he lives under Nick's shadow. And he's frustrated that, you know, the drug thing was supposed to be, quote unquote, his thing. And in the end, it shows that Nikki seems to actually even be able to do that better too. Did you notice in the pits that the couch had ch- has changed? Yeah, it's um, well, it was orange now black. Yeah, yeah. So what is it? Oh, well, obviously a new couch. But what happened? To the, what happened to the orange couch? That's I, the whole. That was a big thing. I I don't know. Um, I want that. I want a spin-off series <laughs> about that couch. About the couch. Yeah. I know the first couch was. The first first couch was in the pilot, and they didn't think it was going to get picked up, so they threw it away. But then the pilot got picked up really quickly, so they had to go like, <laughs> yeah. go back and actually make the orange ca- and remake a different orange couch that looked the same as the first one. And apparently, that was way way more expensive yeah. than just finding an orange the couch. Orange couch the, exactly. the pilot, <laughs> <laughs> ironically. So they don't. Maybe they just got this black one, so they'd just be easier to. They just got like a job load of them, of DFS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I? Um, I mean, the only reason I ask this, Kobe, is sure. for an elaborate setup for another one of my patented terrible dad jokes. Good. Well, you are a dad, so it's allowed. Uh, so, this is the show. 
<laughs> I hadn't thought about how to deliver the punchline. The show should be uh, renamed Black is the New Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> or at least this season. I'm sorry, everybody. I sincerely It'd work apologize. on Netflix, but not HBO. <laughs> <laughs> I, hand in, I hand in my notice now. <laughs> There'll be a new host next week. <laughs> <laughs> now you'll be here to the end. That's your sentence. <laughs> <laughs> There's a really interesting... Um, scene here a small scene between uh frank and his brother who's nick's dad yeah and um frank tells him that uh he's got him in a like a a position in the in the, in the union or, mm. or something as some some sort of token position uh which is and kind of and i forget his, the the name of his brother but he's he kind of says well why 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 did i deserve that why me i've been out of it for a long time and he just knows that frank's been greasing some wheels and he says the words you know whatever i got comes straight yeah and i think that's really really interesting uh to see the difference between these two characters across from the same table uh one who's refusing to budge on his ethics and another who has moved the goalposts. Yeah. Uh, both both union workers, they're brothers. They're they're literally from the same family, and probably both of similar sort of temperament and ethical outlook. But one of them has compromised themselves, and the other refused to. And what's quite interesting is Frank's brother, Nick's dad. He makes his money by gambling, doesn't he? So he's still he's not. <laughs> yeah, the horses. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not. Um, well, gambling is is legal. It's legal, true. Yeah, it, yeah, it is legal. Yeah, we'll, we will. It's say straight. That. Yeah. Whatever he got comes straight. <laughs> Kobe, do you think we could uh, get some Bobby dolls shipped here? What's a Bobby doll? A shipping container. What's a Bobby doll? That was the, <laughs> the clean, the clean uh, container that uh, Frank sent. To, oh, right. uh, to, to Double G and uh, Double G's warehouse was filled with Bobby dolls, <laughs> which I really want the background to Bobby dolls now. If uh, I want to know, did they? They must have like obviously they couldn't put Barbie dolls in there. Sure. they'd have to go to Mattel. So they just was, must have made a new doll. Made a, made a new doll. Made some cardboard boxes. Did you see them? I can't remember. Did you see the doll? Oh yeah, I okay. remember vividly. I want a Bobby doll. <laughs> I want. Oh, you've got to get in touch with the the production people on this because if I don't if I don't finish this podcast mm. with a Bobby doll, then I'm going to be seriously pissed. Um, so when we see Bodie like kind of getting getting a crew together to fight to fight the gang that's taken over the corner, and he's doing it with his he's got his traditional kind of do rag, which I never understood anyway, but it's a white do rag with light. It's a light blue jogging uh, tracksuit top, but he's got one sleeve. He's got one <laughs> oh, one yeah. arm out of his sleeve, hasn't he? What's he doing? Yeah, that was weird. He's got one sleeve, one sleeve on, and one sleeve off. Yeah, and the thing over his head. Yeah, yeah. He looked. He looked like. Um, he looked like he was expecting a blizzard or something, or he'd just come out of a, some heavy winds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it literally forced. Yeah. <laughs> it forced one arm out of the sleeve. But he seemed happy. It was like that's no, it was how it, deliberate. Yeah. It was. It was deliberate. He looked in the mirror that morning and said, "This is how I'm going to wear it today." Okay, we're, 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 we'll post that to our uh, to our Facebook and Twitter yeah. uh, at the wire stripped uh, head there, and you can see this this photo if you don't remember it. Um, maybe maybe it's like a. A fashion thing he was trying to kick off. Do you remember LL Cool J yeah. used to wear one of his pant legs, just one, up to his knee? Yeah, I think. Well, one. it wasn't just LL Cool J, but was it him that was it him that started it? Maybe it was. 
Oh, I just thought it was LL Cool J. Oh my God, it it worked. <laughs> I think it did. Are you telling me he kickstarted that thing? It caught fire in Manchester in 1987. Is that why? I'm gonna check under the table. Here. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's still going. <laughs> Kobe's got it. Here outside Dolores' bar in Weybridge. <laughs> Okay, so last week we introduced a new feature was the alternate ep- epigraph. Uh, and I've, I've picked another one out uh, for this. So if anyone doesn't remember, this is the quote for the start of the episode. And I think this episode should have been from Rawls. And the quote is, And I could use three more inches of meat. It ain't going to happen. You like phallic um, epigraph. I mean, there's plenty to pick from in the wire. <laughs> tell you that much. Let me shorten this conversation for you. It's never going to happen. McNulty goes after it. I could use someone like him. And I could use three more inches of meat. It ain't going to happen. Thank you very much for listening to our episode and our discussion about duck and cover. Next week, we'll be back talking about stray rounds. As always, thank you so much to everyone who took the time to chat with us for this episode. Yeah, and we really do appreciate it. And we really appreciate the help that we get from Sonics, that's S-O-N-I-X dot A-I, who are the guys that help us transcribe all the interviews that you hear from, the cast, the crew, and the fans. If you want to get 100 minutes of free transcription from Sonics, just go to sonics.ai forward slash invite forward slash stripped. If you have seen our lovely logo, that was made by Chris Sutera and all our website graphics were made by Izzy Lawrence. Yeah, thanks to Martin and Sam for the tune with their version of Way Down in the Hole, which you can hear right now. Thanks to our producer, Tom Wally, or T-Bone, who makes this lovely audio magic that you hear in your ears every week. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can leave us an email, burner at thewirestrip.com, or we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Wire Stripped and we get lots of messages from you guys and we love receiving them. And if it's your first time listening, hello and welcome and do please subscribe to us and everybody, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review, take a minute, you don't have to write anything, even just tap the stars tap there, the five it stars. really helps us out. Five, yeah, five stars please, we're soliciting reviews now. <laughs> do the five stars uh, or we will kill your duck. Uh, I won't kill the ducks. That's not uh, I, no, and, and neither will I. It's not legally binding. But I will get your ducks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Your ducks aren't safe.